0: Othello is one of Shakespeare's greatest tragedies. What makes it unique, uh, I suppose, is the focus, uh, the central focus on a Black African as uh, an empathetic protagonist. Don't let people tell you this play is not about race because we sympathize with Othello and he has been promoted in a white society. On the contrary, Othello is about structural and internalized racism interracial marriage and racial fear are at the center, if not the very engine of this play. All the themes we normally talk about, military friendship, sexuality, love, jealousy, are all fueled by the play's preoccupation with race and the experience of being othered. My name is uh, Professor Farah Karim Cooper. I'm Head of Higher Education and Research at Shakespeare's Globe and Professor of Shakespeare Studies at King's College London. Welcome to Shakespeare for All.
1: In this course, we're speaking with Professor Farah Karim Cooper about Othello. This play, first written and performed around 1604, tells the story of Othello, black general in the Venetian army who elopes with a white Venetian noblewoman called Desdemona.
0: She falls in love with and clandestinely marries a black African. Their love seems to transcend race, but in the end it doesn't.
1: Iago, Othello's subordinate in the army, decides to destroy Othello by destroying his marriage. Partly by playing on racist ideas in Othello's society, Iago convinces Othello that Desdemona has been unfaithful to him and that he should punish her with death. Othello realises too late that Iago has deceived him. He has killed Desdemona and he goes on to kill himself. Shakespeare took the basic plot of this story from an Italian Renaissance writer called Cintio. In a collection of novellas,
0: Cintio tells the story of a white woman who elopes with a black man. The moral of Cinthio's narrative is to tell young women not to marry those who are so separate in nature from them. Uh, this is a key racist tenant. Um, but it's not this simplistic in Shakespeare. In the first folio, the play's full title is The
1: Tragedy of Othello, The Moor of Venice. To Shakespeare's English audience, Venice represented a place where many cultures came together, which is
0: significant for Othello's identity in the play. His status as an outsider in a world that's run by the patrician elite of Venice collides, paradoxically, with a prevailing attitude in Venice of multiracial or multi-ethnic tolerance. Uh, so this is this strange sort of um, dichotomy of, of racial tension in the play. Uh, Because of its geographical position, Venice was a really important economic player uh, in the Mediterranean basin at this time. It was an intermediary uh, for trade between the East and the West, uh, and a center of mercantilism and commodity exchange and wealth. The Venetian state actually saw the, it was to their advantage to enable the free flow of foreigners into the city to conduct business. And the city was bustling with traders and merchants from all over the world. And Black Africans lived there as free men, um, as well as, with, as slaves. One of the, the anxieties that the English felt, but also they, um, they quite liked, was that Venice was a place for a multicultural tolerance and, um, and free trade. Uh, and so what they saw was um, a, a sort of space where the, the Black African, the Jew, the Turk, different religions could mix together.
1: Despite Venice's multiculturalism, Othello is still positioned as an outsider. He is the more of Venice, and many of the characters refer to him by this term instead of by his name. The term more
0: had several different meanings in Shakespeare's time. There's been a bit of a debate about whether or not uh, uh, Shakespeare's Othello is actually an, um, a sub-Saharan African, uh, so therefore he's, he's a black Negro, or whether or not he is a North African Muslim, um, and, or with some sort of Arab um, background. Um, but w- what we learned from the language of the play is that Othello is black, So he is a racial other.
1: The play opens with Iago angrily telling his friend Roderigo that the Moor has promoted his despised rival Cassio instead of him. Iago explains that he will pretend to be Othello's faithful follower, but his real goal is to serve his own interests and perhaps to take some revenge. I am not what I am, he says. And with these words, Iago defines himself as Shakespeare's master deceiver. Iago and Roderigo know that Othello has eloped that night with Desdemona, the daughter of Brabanzio, a Venetian senator. Using grossly racialized and animalistic language, they shout at Brabanzio's window that his daughter has run off with the Moor. Brabanzio sends his men after her. Iago, pretending to be loyal, goes to warn the newly married Othello. Then we find out that the Turkish army is threatening Venice's stronghold on the island of Cyprus. Othello, Venice's most skillful general, is summoned to the Duke's war council. The scene at the Senate reveals Othello's double and precarious state in Venice. He is both insider and outsider, both needed and feared. His military talent makes him valued and necessary as the city's protector. But as the man who won Desdemona away from her Venetian suitors, he also poses a threat to the city and its social customs. Brabanzio tells the senators that Othello must have used witchcraft to seduce Desdemona. Why else, he demands, would a well-bred young Venetian woman run away to what he calls the sooty bosom of Othello? This phrase reveals the racial motivation of Brabanzio's anger. It also alludes to the way the play was originally performed. Othello, a black character, was first played by a white man, an actor
0: named Richard Burbage. He performed Othello in blackface and impersonated a black African using a variety of techniques, um, such as black paint, which may have been made from walnut shells and oil or perhaps some burnt cork or the soot of a lamp. But even though there was not
1: a black actor performing on Shakespeare's stage, there were black people living in
0: Shakespeare's London. There were more black people living in Shakespeare's England than we originally thought. And some of them lived free and traded and worked in Southwark, for example. So is it likely that Shakespeare's audiences may have actually been more racially diverse than we like to think about? Um, we know that uh, because there were Black people living in London during this time, um, that they they may have had a different notion of racism, but audiences were not homogenous. They were not um, uh, all white. Um, So it's impossible to suggest that their response to these terms and the staging of racial identity was one way or another. I suspect it was as complex and diverse as the play itself.
1: Othello also meets with a mixed response in the Senate. While Brabanzio accuses him of witchcraft, the Duke and senators invite Othello to give his own account of what happened. Othello explains in a moving speech that Brabanzio often invited him to his home to tell the stories of his travels. His relationship with Desdemona began when she became enchanted by these stories. He says that, "'She loved me for the dangers I had passed, "'and I loved her that she did pity them.'" We'll discuss this full speech in the third episode. Desdemona then arrives she affirms that she is in love with Othello and freely ran away to marry him. As she puts it, "'I saw Othello's visage in his mind, "'and to his honour and his valiant parts "'did I my soul and fortunes consecrate.'" The Senate absolves Othello of any wrongdoing and sends him to Cyprus to fight a different kind of foreign other, the
0: enemy Turks. the Turk represents Islam in this period, and Islam represents a direct threat to Christianity, and Islamic power was was immense in this period um, and sophisticated and extraordinary. Um, And so uh, this is terrifying, actually, to Uh, Christian power. But what's really interesting is that you think Shakespeare's going to give you this play about this incredible battle between the Turk and the Venetian. What actually, it sort of fizzles out and it becomes a domestic tragedy because the Turkish threat is no more. Um, And then we, we get to narrow in and focus on the marriage. The threat to the marriage
1: emerges just after the Senate disperses. Rodrigo and Iago are left alone on stage. Roderigo, who is infatuated with Desdemona, is in despair about her marriage, but Iago promises to help him seduce her. When Roderigo exits, Iago turns to the audience and unfolds a further plan. He will tell Othello that Cassio is having an affair with Desdemona. In the third episode, we'll explore some of these key moments where Iago shares his plots. The scene then shifts to Cyprus, where we learn that a storm has drowned the enemy Turkish fleet. That night, the troops celebrate and Othello enjoys a private reunion with Desdemona, and Iago starts putting his plot into action. In the revelry, he gets Cassio drunk and has Roderigo provoke him into fighting. Cassio wounds Roderigo, and Othello enters the chaotic scene to ask Honest Iago what happened. This name, Honest, for Iago, is significant in its irony.
0: He is often referred to in the play as Honest Iago. He has the trust of Roderigo, of Cassio, Desdemona, of Montano, and most importantly, of Othello.
1: Iago tells Othello, with apparent reluctance, how Cassio struck Roderigo. Othello removes Cassio from his office as lieutenant and Cassio is devastated. Iago suggests that he should ask Desdemona to intervene with Othello on his behalf. But then Cassio exits and Iago, in another soliloquy to the audience, reveals the next part of his plan. While Desdemona pleads for Cassio out of kindness, Iago will convince Othello that she is pleading Cassio's case because she is in love with him. He will, he says, out of her own goodness make the net that shall enmesh them all. Cassio follows Iago's advice and goes to Desdemona. As Iago predicted, she enthusiastically pleads for Othello to reconcile with Cassio. Othello agrees, But shortly afterwards, Iago asks Othello if Cassio knew about his secret courtship of Desdemona. Othello says, He did from first to last. Why dost thou ask? Is he not honest? Honest, my lord? says Iago. What dost thou think? asks Othello. Think, my lord? says Iago. Othello finally loses patience. Thou echoest me as if there were some monster in thy thought too hideous to be shown. Iago's rhetorical strategy is a clever one. The suggestiveness and incompleteness of his words convince Othello that they represent some darker thought, some darker truth that remains unspoken.
0: It's not just that Othello has been naive. I think a lot of people land at the end of the play that Othello is naive. But it's that Iago is a rhetorical giant. Uh, He's very, very good with speech.
1: Finally, Iago reveals what this darker thought is. He tells Othello, Oh, beware, my lord of jealousy. It is the green eyed monster. Othello insists he has no jealousy about Desdemona's faithfulness. But Iago advises Othello to look to your wife. Observe her well with Cassio. It is unnatural, he suggests, for Desdemona not to desire someone of her own clime, complexion and degree. That is to say, another white Italian noble like Cassio. Othello does start to wonder if Desdemona may have lost her love for him, perhaps because he is old or perhaps because he is black. Desdemona enters and sees that Othello looks distressed. She wipes his head with a handkerchief Othello once gave her. When she exits, she drops the handkerchief. Her maid, Emilia, picks it up and gives it to Iago, her husband, who has often asked her to steal it. Othello is now in agony at the thought of losing Desdemona's love. He confronts Iago and demands that he
0: provide proof that she has been unfaithful. Othello is fiercely intelligent and he is strategic. He's a tactical thinker. So he's really struggling to reconcile how someone as kind and loving and generous and risk-taking as Desdemona, She, she took huge risk marrying him, would commit such a blatant act of betrayal, to sort of negate everything that she just risked. He needs to see proof.
1: The handkerchief becomes that proof. Iago stages a conversation with Cassio where Othello can overhear. Iago prompts Cassio to talk about his affair with the courtesan Bianca, but he lets Othello believe that Cassio is talking about his affair with Desdemona. What's more, Othello sees the handkerchief in Cassio's hands, because... Iago had planted it earlier in Cassio's room. Seeing the handkerchief, Othello is now convinced that Cassio and Desdemona are lovers. The handkerchief
0: in the play becomes this proof. It's a really, really important object. Once uh, he sees that his jealousy and despair overtake him, when this handkerchief becomes the thing that he relies upon.
1: Othello, racked with grief and anger, plans to strangle Desdemona in her bed. When he next sees her, he hits her and calls her a whore. Desdemona passionately pleads her innocence, but Othello is unmoved. The distraught Desdemona asks Amelia if any woman could do something so wrong as commit adultery, and she swears that her husband's unkindness will never taint her love. We'll examine Amelia's unconventional reply to Desdemona in the third episode. That night, Othello orders Iago to kill Cassio while he goes to kill Desdemona. Othello represents himself as a minister of justice, but he is almost overwhelmed by the sight of her sleeping form, saying, "'Oh, balmy breath
0: that dost almost persuade justice to break her sword.'" Othello enters her bedchamber, sees her sleeping, acknowledges her beauty and her virtue, um, but then he becomes overwhelmed by his um, jealousy. Desdemona wakes. Othello
1: tells her to prepare for death and to confess her sins. She protests that she has never committed any sin with Cassio. When Othello tells her Cassio is dead, Desdemona weeps. Othello's anger rises again and he smothers her. Emilia comes in as Desdemona is dying and hears her final words. Commend me to my kind lord, she says. Othello tells the horrified Emilia that Desdemona was unfaithful and that Iago, Emilia's husband, knew it. Emilia insists Desdemona was innocent, curses Iago and calls for help. Iago and the Venetian officers arrive. Othello explains the just grounds of Desdemona's death. He heard Cassio confess their love affair and saw Desdemona's handkerchief in his hand. Emilia tells Othello that she gave the handkerchief to Iago. Iago stabs Emilia. The officers seize him and Emilia dies on the bed beside Desdemona. Othello now realising how terribly Iago has deceived him, laments over Desdemona's body and entreats the officers to find out why Iago did this. Will you, I pray, demand this demi-devil why he have thus ensnared my soul and body? But the rhetorically suave Iago now has nothing more to say. His last words in the play are, What you know, you know. From this time forth, I never will speak word. Iago is taken away to be tortured and Othello is arrested. But Othello still has something to say. He makes a final speech asking the officers to remember the time when a turbaned Turk attacked a citizen of Venice and he, Othello, took him by the throat and smote him thus... With these words, he stabs and kills himself, thus taking on the role both of his younger self who killed the Turk and the Turk he killed. Othello casts himself both as insider and outsider, the protector of Venice and the enemy that Venice must be protected from. This divided sense of self is one of the
0: great struggles that defines Othello in the play. He has a sense of himself as a divided self in terms of his identity. He's the Christian and the Turk, which means he's the civilized um, social person and the barbarian all at once. Um, So this is really a kind of complex and ambiguous sense of self-perception, which makes him really interesting to us um, as as fellow humans. What creates
1: this divided sense of self? Is it Iago's malicious plots? Or are there larger social forces at work which provoke destructive, racialized perspectives in all the characters, even in Othello himself? We'll delve more deeply into these questions in the next episode.